Hello, and welcome to We Blame Our Shelves, a podcast where two librarians discuss uh, movies, books, games, you know, anything you can find on your shelf. I am your host this uh, time. I am a librarian in training, James Pugh, and the catcher in the rye is loosely based on my formative years. <laughs> and I am joined by... I'm the reason King Stephen King uh, writes horror novels, Dan Major, librarian extraordinaire. <laughs> These are fun. Um, so, it is every, September. Ev- every week, every month, the intros are just going to get more and more just, obscure just and obscure, strange. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, so, this month is September. It is a very big month for libraries. It is National Library Card Sign-Up Month, and there's a week that is dedicated to our favorite topic, Banned books. I don't know if it's our favorite topic. <laughs> um, frankly, I was I was in a meeting, uh, a Zoom meeting this morning, and it was basically dominated the entire meeting. I think we've all been dealing with it a lot this year in particular. Oh yeah. Um. So, you know, we we do a lot of advocacy, but I'm a little tired of talking about it already. <laughs> well, I I think it's funny you bring up this year. Because this year has seen a lot of challenges, like mm-hmm. unprecedented amount of challenges. 400% increase That's over insane. the previous year. That is insane. Which is ironic because 40 years ago, <sighs> sorry, 40 years ago in 1982, um, that's when the very first Banned Books Week happened. That was because of a sudden surge in the number of challenges in books in schools, bookstores, and libraries. Um, this is from all of this information is from bandbooksweek.org. Um, and yeah, so it's typically in ex- uh, held in September. It highlights the value of free and open access to information. Uh, Band Books Week brings together librarians, booksellers, publishers, journalists, teachers, basically anybody who uh, supports intellectual freedom in the First Amendment. <laughs> um, it's because you want to, you know, be, be able to seek and express your ideas, right? Even if I've, they're not I've, popular, I don't have opinions. <laughs> Straight facts with me. <laughs> All facts. Actually, I think it might be completely <laughs> the opposite. But yeah, go on, James. Um, but this was actually brought on because of a Supreme Court case. Yeah, the Supreme Court case that inspired Banned Books Week was Pico versus the Board of Education, uh, which happened in 1982. Um, and in this, um, this is a very <laughs> brief summary of something that you know. Every, I believe every justice uh, issued their own opinion on the case, um, but the majority opinion, um, the Supreme Court, S- Supreme Court uh, set precedent for the freedom to read uh, in 1982. Um, the public school board decided to remove several titles by multiple authors that they perceived as being anti-Christian or anti-American. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of Pico and the students and issued an opinion that stated the board's removal of books from the library was based on a narrowly partisan or political ground, and it violated the First Amendment rights of the students. Um, In summary, um, books cannot be removed from school or public libraries for the purpose of restricting access to ideas. And that statement from one of the justices is kind of the the go-to yes. for how this has developed. I mean, there's there's tons and tons of cases on the First Amendment, a lot of cases on 
you know, freedom to read in libraries, but this is kind of the the benchmark case yes. um, that we still operate off of to this day. Yes, yes. And it's it's very important. Like I mentioned, intellectual freedom, the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech, like the First Amendment, that's what banned books basically is 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 um, trying to combat is is that censorship. So in honor of Banned Books Week and this episode, we have our very first guest on the <laughs> podcast, Dan. I'm very yes. excited about this guest. So we'd like to introduce Dylan Gishel, the uh, director of the Superior Land uh, Library Cooperative, where he supports 35 member public libraries across Michigan's Upper Peninsula and in the Northern Lower Peninsula. Prior to his role, he served as the library director at the Portage Lake District Library in Houghton, Michigan for six years. He currently serves on the Michigan Library Association board and is the chair of the Intellectual Freedom Task Force. Welcome, Dylan. Hi, Dylan. Hey, Dan and James. How are you? We're doing good. Thanks good. for joining us so much today. I know you're calling in on Zoom. Um, how's the weather up there? Uh, it's getting cool, but it's a nice <laughs> sunny day today. Leaves are starting to change, so fall is definitely upon us here. Awesome. Where Where is the Superior Land headquarters? So Superior Land offices are in Marquette, Michigan, oh, and oh. I am living and working mostly remotely in Chassel, Michigan, but I'm in the office twice a week. Oh, okay. Cool. So let's just get right off the bat. What is the Intellectual Freedom Task Force? Sure. So the Intellectual Freedom Task Force is a group that was formed uh, by the Michigan Library Association that works to protect intellectual freedom and the freedom to read uh, here in Michigan. So this group was formed in March, I believe, March of 2022, so not long ago, hmm. uh, and acted pretty quickly to develop what we call the My Right to Read Coalition. Um, My Right to Read is sort of the, uh, is what the Intellectual Freedom Task Force really has to show for their work so far. Um, so it's a website. You can you can check it out at myrighttoread.com, and it offers support to libraries in addressing challenges to intellectual freedom, um, being proactive and making sure they're prepared to to head off challenges. Um, but then it also endeavors to create this um, broad coalition of Michigan residents that all champion intellectual freedom, so that those people can be called on to support libraries through some of these really um, kind of distressing, politically motivated challenges that are on the rise. Right. So is that M-I or M-Y? Oh, I yeah, that's right. I should specify <laughs> it is M-I, right to read. And I actually, I saved and I have an email here that was sent out on Jan or July 6th of this year. Um, and it's the intellectual freedom fact sheet from my right to read. And this is actually, this is probably like the most succinct description I've seen anywhere of kind of the legal basis against censorship and banning books. Yes. Um, because everybody always wants to argue content. Um, is it harmful? Is it not harmful? Um, that kind of thing. But this really spells out like X, Y, and Z very directly, like why, why it is unconstitutional to have a government body such as the library decide to ban a book or a school board to ban a book. And, you know, I don't think that's, as a librarian, that's not something I, <laughs> I'm interested <laughs> in, frankly, doing. 
Um, So, yeah, my right to read has a lot of really, really good stuff. I get a lot of stuff from ALA, too, um, the American Library Association, but you guys are doing a better job. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it was helpful, and and specifically when you mentioned that 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 sort of legal summary for the precedent when it comes to content-based removal, I'm glad you mentioned that was succinct and meaningful because you know, the the big intent with the coalition is to be able to speak to non-library folks about these library issues so that we can make sure they're prepared prepared to talk about it in public meetings and letters to the editor and other places where they need to advocate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, a little bit of terminology first. Um, What is a book challenge versus a book ban? Sure. Well, so a book challenge is when someone engages with the library's collection by requesting that an item be removed from the library. Uh, Book challenges have always been around, um, but like you mentioned uh, a moment ago, we're seeing such a huge uptick this year um, and towards the end of last year as well, compared to all the years prior. Um, There's usually a formal process involved with a book challenge. Oftentimes this is laid out in a library's collection development policy. Um, or included on a form. Um, libraries often call these forms their request for reevaluation of materials form. Um, so this is important because, as you mentioned, the removal of an item from a library's collection, um, you know, could have First Amendment protected implications. So when it comes to challenges, um, libraries have to kind of be careful to make sure they have a, a process for handling that. But a book challenge is just that someone requesting that the library consider removing a title, whereas a book ban is the actual removal of a book from a library's collection, um, usually done by formal action of a library's governing board. And this is where libraries have to be careful of the legal implications, which you also you know, touched on, um, and, and be considerate, considerate of their patron's right to access material that others might find objectionable. Um, so for example, when a library receives a challenge, they have to keep in mind that removing material from the library simply because a patron or a group of patrons or, or residents find the content of the book objectionable could be unconstitutional. Um, so First Amendment infringement, infringement on other library patrons' rights. Um, as a general rule, if the material is constitutionally protected, libraries just cannot discard it because someone found it objectionable, which, like you said, comes from this 1982 Supreme Court precedent. Um, there's plenty of other allowable reasons for discarding content, right? Um, maybe a, a medical textbook that is dangerously outdated. <laughs> or uh, or if James gives it to a volunteer and they just cut it up into shreds <laughs> right before your podcast episode. Yes, we had to discard that one. <laughs> There's a good reason to discard it, though. <laughs> is is that one in your? Is that one in your criteria for? Yes, creating? yes, yes. Damage material. Yes, damage material. Sure, sure. Um, so there's, you know, there's allowable reasons. Um, patron interest plays a huge role, right? If something's just not circulating, maybe there doesn't serve a purpose in a collection anymore. But, but removing it based on objectionable content, that's that's banning a book, and it's just not allowable under the Constitution. So we we mentioned, and and you mentioned that there's a lot of uptick right now this year alone. Um, so who is challenging these books? Like, is is it just like, um, 
is it a group? Is it individuals? Mm -hmm. Well, traditionally, uh, I think most libraries would tell you in the past, book challenges are typically coming from individuals, probably patrons uh, who are often parents of young children um, that, that maybe live in the library service area and just have general concerns or questions about a title and its placement in the collection. Um, you know, in, in my experience as a director, uh, I did I did that work for six years, and I think I dealt with three formal book challenges. Hmm. And in all those cases, you know, after a formal review process that made the patrons uh, feel heard, they all seemed to understand or at least accept, you know, that there was a good reason for that item to be retained by the library. Uh, but all that has kind of changed now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the individual challenges that are happening right now in libraries are probably sincere and submitted by real library users or at least residents of the library service area, but they're influenced or sort of egged on by this national movement that we, you know, read about every week now in library mm -hmm. world, right, and, and in the news. And that movement is funded by partisan political party donors. And there's a really great guardian piece that makes connections between those donors and the, the challenges to books and curriculum that we see in schools and libraries. Um, and it's really frightening, to be frank, because it brings politics into the public library, which, as we know, is historically nonpartisan, right? So right. Yeah. not only do libraries have to worry now about, you know, we've talked about these constitutional protections that are important, um, obviously ethical concerns when it comes to access, because we want to make sure that our collections represent the people that use it. Um, but with the sort of political polarization here, it's libraries' reputations are kind of put into question. So again, this is this is why the My Right to Read Coalition work is so important. Right. And do you see any common theme on like which which books are being challenged and why? Are there common themes? Is it, you know, political? Is it, you know, is it because of sex? Is it because of profanity? Um, what what is the new trend? Because I feel like in the past, you know, profanity or <laughs> communism <Yeah>. and, <laughs> and things like that have been, you know, anti-American and all that. Um, but what what is the new wave of banning? What's the topic and the trend? Yeah. So I think challenges, it's, it's not banning, because there's actually very little banning taking place. Yes. Yes. But challenging, right? Yeah, it's kind of a twist on what you just talked about traditionally in that it's it's content people find inappropriate, right? But it's uh, it's no coincidence that almost all the material being challenged is either by or about LGBTQ plus people or by and about people of color. Hmm. So um, again, this gets to sort of the political nature of this and being in an election year. Um, where you know different parties have have different agendas they want to drive home to to raise awareness and and grow support for their issues and raise money but this is you know this is a component of the whole issue that's that's so difficult right because again this is like foundational to public libraries we're we're trying to make sure that our libraries provide materials for a diverse patron population with titles that are of interest to everyone no matter who they are or what they look like or what they believe so these challenges, you know, being what they are and their penchant for targeting LGBTQ or race in terms of subjects and authors 
it just goes against the nature of the work that we're trying to do in public libraries and serving in serving every person in every community. I'm actually yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because um, as I was putting together our banned books display for the month um, a couple of weeks ago, um, just looking through a variety of different lists of you know top 100 challenged books or top 10 and everything roughly 80 percent of the books challenged recently are by minority authors um but the number of books published by minority authors is by comparison very low but they're receiving an extremely disproportionate amount of of challenges in libraries hmm. um so you you mentioned that it's it's more challenges than bans. So how frequently are challenged books actually banned? That's a great question, and it's I think it's kind of hard to know. But if you know the answer, fill me in, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to know because the figures that we do have for how often material is challenged, um, which come from ALA, like you mentioned, the Pen American Center has um, keeps track of a, a number like that every year too. Um, but those organizations also consider their figure to be less than the real figure just due to so many challenges not being reported. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, who's challenged? Oh, wait, we already asked that one. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first interview. Can you tell? <laughs> it's, you're doing great. <laughs> um, so what is intellectual freedom and how does it relate to book banning? Sure. Uh, intellectual freedom is the right to receive information from all different points of view without restriction. And because libraries are seen as this sort of quintessential place to seek and receive information, intellectual freedom is pretty foundational to the work that we all do in libraries. Uh, and, and of course, this idea of unrestricted access to information, you know, no matter the point of view that information might take, is a pretty key component to democracy as well. So it's important, um, you know, it ties into libraries also because you, you mentioned this 1982 Supreme Court precedent, but even before that, when we look at how the Supreme Court has ruled on cases involving the freedom of speech, they have at times ruled in favor of allowing, uh, how do I say it? They've connected the right to freedom of speech, to the freedom to read and access materials, and then went on to connect that to public libraries, right? Because we're sort of the go-to place to receive that info. So yeah. that's that's kind of how intellectual freedom ties back to libraries. And I was actually, I was on a meeting yesterday um, that I think MLA must have put on because it was all Michigan people, um, but it was on the topic of intellectual freedom, um, and they brought up a lot of kind of interesting points in that regard. Um, and going going back to this um, this email that we got from My Right to Read, um, you know, what we're seeing a lot of now is um, people claiming that all LGBTQ plus content is pornographic. Um, and there is no legal definition for pornography. Oh, what, what was that? Um, what was that one Supreme Court judge? He's I like, know it when I see it. Yeah, but I can't yeah, tell you what it I is. But I can't tell you yeah. what it is. Yeah. But there is a legal definition of obscenity. Um, and to meet that criteria of obscenity is very legally 
difficult, especially for library materials, because, I mean, A, we wouldn't buy flat-out pornography, Mm -mm. but also because our vendors aren't legally allowed to to sell (laughs) pornography either. So we can't even get a hold of it. Um, But can you talk a little bit about um, the difference between, or the definition of... um, what was the word I just said? I'm having a total obscenity. Brain obscenity. Obscenity. Yeah, just about the obscenity laws and how it how it applies here. Yeah, and your summary is great, by the way. I think you nailed it. Um, part of the problem is that, um, you know, everybody's got their own definition of what's acceptable in terms of content, and what we're seeing in some of these public meetings where where people are showing up in droves to challenge materials is they're labeling things as as pornographic uh, or obscene. But like you mentioned, obscenity is a high bar with very specific uh, definitions. And there's actually a, a test that, that courts use called the Miller test to determine if something is obscene. Um, the problem is for folks who want content removed because they deem it obscene, only a, only a court can actually determine that something is obscene. But like you mentioned, Dan, if it can be bought by a library vendor or on Amazon or is available in the open market anywhere, it's not obscene because it would be illegal to own. So this is this is one reason when we when we talk to libraries that are dealing with this stuff or or just trying to be proactive to head off uh, challenges or being be prepared to address them, we really hammer home the constitutional pr- protections here. Because when it comes to trying to convince someone that the material they object to is not as bad as they think, that's not going to work, right? We all mm-hmm. have different value uh, value systems and things like that, but the constitutional protections are real. So that's usually where we start when we're talking with folks about this. Yeah, and I I love the my right to read, um, even website. Um, I I'm in library school, so I did a a uh, paper on library issues that that they're going to face in the future and i was like book banning a little did i know it was going to be this close to the future um yeah but uh i actually used because uh, it was right around the time that the website was rolled out and i actually used the website very frequently for one of my resources it was it is it, fantastic it has so many even for for common folk it has so many good non-library workers it has so many good resources that you could use to combat this this um book banning and challenging that's happened happening so frequently now it's great i'm glad it's been so helpful i mean a little bit of a a candid discussion about it the more like i've i've done a lot of research on this in the past because i i just think it's interesting and obviously it comes up day to day now um more than it ever has but i feel like you know now that i'm i'm relatively well versed in it I do feel like it's a cloud that is going to blow over pretty soon. Um, there's a lot of, you know, it, it, it's not Roe v. Wade where there's one Supreme Court decision that protects this. This has, you know, years and years of state and appeals courts and the Supreme Court. So there's an entire body to look to it legally and people are going to burn themselves out 
pretty quickly. Oh yeah, Pico. In, in yeah. my opinion. <laughs> no, no, I was gonna say Pico, Pico v Board Education. Like that. That's just yeah. the latest one. There's well, and like three know, or four before that. That was around the time of the Satanic Panic, which I think <laughs> I can I can comfortably say has passed. Yes. <laughs> you know yes. that was an early mid '80s thing. Um, but there, there's always a, a political issue du jour, and this is just what it is right now. And knowing that there's so many advocates for intellectual freedom, for free speech, that there's a, a body of work to back this up, like, I feel inconvenienced by it because I want to do the meat and potatoes of my job yeah. <laughs> without the distractions. Yes. Um, and I want to serve the community in that way, but you know, I'm I'm confident that it's not gonna snowball too much more. But hey, six months from now, <laughs> a year from now, I could be eating my words. We could be defunded. Who knows? Oh no, don't say that. Um, <laughs> knock well, on wood, Dan. Knock yeah, on wood. Yeah. <laughs> but I, well, I, I feel confident that, you know, libraries are in a, a good protected place. Um and that that we'll get through it just fine without too much I don't know, yeah. book burning. I think, I think you're right when you talk about the constitutional protections because there's just so much, there's so many cases that have upheld this issue in the past. And, you know, the other thing to note about that is it costs a lot of money to bring something before the Supreme Court. And a lot of, a lot of these political parties or their donors they're they're having a lot of success with riling up their base and making money on this issue i don't think they could find someone that would want to pay to bring it to the supreme court because they like that it's causing all this trouble it's yeah. making them money. oh so, and people get clicks people get follows on um, oh yeah instagram or tiktok or whatever social media platform these people are yeah. congregating on but oh yeah and the and the biggest I, irony of all of this yeah. is that that if we start banning certain books then that opens the door to have other yeah. books banned right so <laughs> you we ban could... my book i'll ban your exactly. book he'll ban <laughs> her book like yeah it's a bad road to go down it is yeah and then you're not a library anymore if if you have you know a governing body deciding what what can or can't be on the shelves you're not really a library anymore yeah Right. And I do, I frequently question why I had to get a master's degree to be a librarian when a nurse or an engineer can operate with a bachelor's degree. Um, but this this is one of those more delicate areas where I'm like, wow, I'm glad yeah. <laughs> that I have this degree sure. because I know yeah. more about it and I can analyze it. And I think master's degree are a little bit gatekeeping for libraries, but that, <laughs> that'll be an entirely different episode. We'll, we'll, we'll invite you back for that one. <laughs> um, all right, so Dylan, we have some rapid fire questions for you. Did we send these in advance, or is we this did not. new territory? All right, are you ready, Dylan? They're not. I don't think I saw them, but I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> they're they're not too hard, so I'll we'll go back and forth. James, I'll do the first one. Uh, you do the second one, and we'll yeah, we'll okay, okay. Dylan, uh, who is your favorite author? Cormac McCarthy. Oh, good, good choice. Um, coolest library you've ever been to. Oh, Denver Public Library's main branch. Why is that? Well, I was there for PLA one year. And, oh. you know, I come from an area that is mostly represented by very rural libraries, a lot of smaller <laughs> libraries. So it was just cool to see so many different features, including a 
amazing maker space. And um, this maybe is a small thing, right? But I thought it was so cool that they had a free public payphone uh, available for patrons to use. <laughs> <laughs> I think in in policy we do not, but in practice we sort we of do. do. Yeah. <laughs> We've had that's some what kids. I mean, right? It wasn't like you had to go to the surf desk and ask to use a phone. They actually had it all available <laughs> for hmm. patrons. Awesome. Which band or challenged book surprises you? I'm sorry. What was that one? Uh, which band or challenged book surprises you? Hmm. You know what surprised me? Uh, it's been a few years, right? But when we talk about, well, a couple of years ago, a lot of the Dr. Seuss books were being um, were being challenged, oh, yeah, and yeah, sometimes yeah. banned, right? For um, for for like racial stereotyping, and um, that surprised me, I guess. Although it doesn't any longer, right? Right. Um, because it's kind of the other side of the aisle when it comes to some of these people's positions on content being objectionable. Um, but it's interesting, right? Because it shows that libraries haven't changed. We're just here to provide materials and we're going to keep doing it no matter what, mm-hmm. what party asks us not to. Right. Which one book would you ban if you could? <laughs> I would not ban a book. Real answers. <laughs> Real answers, Dylan. Come on. You know what mine is? Mine is The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> oh, so what? like a book I really don't like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey then for horrible, horrible writing. <laughs> I don't, I'm going to fail at this question, guys. Sorry. I don't know. That's all right. Um, you are the uh, the chair of the Intellectual Freedom Committee. So if you don't believe in book banning, it's, I think that's Yeah, good... it's a gotcha question. Someone's going to take a sound clip from this and be like, oh, Dylan Gishel. <laughs> and you're going to be all over TV if, you, like, oh, if no. you didn't dodge that question. <laughs> Well Me, done. on the other hand, I just, you know, yeah. hung myself up to dry. <laughs> Me too. Don't worry about it. Um, Dylan, what's the favorite job you've ever had? I loved working in libraries. My first library director job, I got to work like every uh, every single role at the library before I was promoted to library uh, director. So that was fun. Um, washing pint glasses at a brewery was oh. super fun. Interesting. I would say hmm. that's one of my favorites. I was a brewmaster's apprentice once, and that was mostly cleaning kegs, and I hated it. I was a cook at an assisted living. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you weren't a librarian, what would you choose as a career? Probably probably work with the National Park Service. I love being outside. Oh, okay. uh, I love the good work we do. Yeah. Yeah, being being in the UP, that's perfect. (laughs) You're in the good spot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yep. Coffee or tea? Coffee, 100%. Iced or hot? Hot. Well, you're in the UP. Again, in the UP. (laughs) Obviously, it's hot. He's in the UP. Um, And finally, do people in the UP really call us trolls? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If If you were born below the bridge, you're a troll. But it's not like we just casually talk about you that way in conversation. It's only like, you know, it's like a meme. It might be a joke someone makes every now and then. Oh, man. I was hoping you guys just get local local watering hole and be like, ah, those trolls coming up to see the colors. <laughs> yeah, it's July. Oh, for the colors? Yeah. Um, okay, two more. Uh, favorite place to travel? Oh, man. There's, there's so many great places that even, like, it are easy for me to visit on the weekend here in the UP. Lake Superior Shoreline, all the different all the different beaches up here. 
um helsinki helsinki was was somewhere hmm. i traveled as a undergraduate and that was great i love that hmm. what did you like about it this isn't a helsinki question I just, this was is a like so this this big city experience right but it's like almost the same climate as uh the up here so it, it all looks very similar but you're in um an urban environment which was cool hmm. all right i got the last one you ready Sure. Favorite cult movie? Drive. Ryan Gosling. In Drive. I don't think I've seen that movie. I don't. There's a lot of movies. I've I seen it, seen. but you know, I didn't. It's, I like didn't... Two, it's like a 2011. Is, um, that a, is that a cult movie? I think it's cult favorite. It was like lambasted when it was released because it tricked people into viewing it. I think <laughs> yeah. like it, it made viewers think it was just like a fast and furious movie but it's actually like a violent art house film oh it's very slow burn it's a slow burn i'll give you that like like you go in thinking yeah fast and furious but what you get is fantastic it is a great movie (laughs) well uh that question is going to lead us into our topic for the podcast next month which is going to be uh cult books movies and tv shows um so thank you for listening join us next time as we discuss cult movies and tv shows uh we'd like to thank orion neighborhood television ontv for providing the recording studios for we blame ourselves you can find episodes of we blame ourselves at our website orionlibrary.org if you have questions comments or would like to give us topics to discuss please email us at podcast at orionlibrary.org and special thanks to dylan for joining us on zoom today yes thank you very much dylan Thanks and, for having me. And you can check out everything on for your shelf at your local library. Please support them in any means you are able. We will see you next month. Until next time, I'm James Pugh. And I'm Dan Major. See ya. Bye.